As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before we hear from today's guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles, and resources. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you can choose from a variety of free ebooks. But now for today's show. I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Vince Vitali, who's an apologist and an author whose PhD research involved developing a new response to the problem of evil. He outlined some of his thinking on the topic of suffering and evil in his book, Why Suffering? and also in his academic publication, Non-Identity Theodicy, A Grace-Based Response to the Problem of Evil. Well, Vince, we were hearing about your story in the last show, and this is obviously kind of a continuation of your story. I guess we've gone from kind of Vince the skeptic to Vince the believer, but it was even more of a journey, you know, it wasn't kind of, oh, now I've become a Christian, that's it. You sort of delved into these things a lot deeper, you did more philosophy, you got into apologetics. Would you just say a little bit about that? How did you come across apologetics? What was your kind of first foray into it? And and what did you think of it when you came across it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, in some ways it wasn't uh, intentional. Um, Two weeks after I became a Christian, I wound up on a missions trip um, down to Panama City Beach, Florida uh, over spring break. I didn't know what the phrase missions trip meant. Uh, I just knew that some friends and some teammates from this Christian community that I had sort of started to journey with, they were going down for spring break. I mean, I knew it was probably like a Christian conference and that there were going to be some, you know, some lectures or some talks on Christian topics. Uh, I didn't realize that part of it was like walking the beat and sharing your faith with random college students that were just down there to party for spring break. Um, and I'm not sure I would have went had I known that that was <laughs> the situation. But there was a, a an older brother in the faith um, who kind of came alongside me. This was a guy who then wound up discipling me for about five years um, after this. So, uh, you know, wonderful friendship. And I, I just sort of walked the beach with him and he would, you know, just say hello to people on Connect and gave me an opportunity to just share a bit about what I had experienced in terms of my own journey, you know, to faith. And I still remember the face uh, of one man where I was able to share my story with him. And I could just I could just see in his eyes um, that it was starting to make sense. You know, I could just see see that something was shifting in his eyes. And I always kind of remember um, his face. And so really very soon after I had made a commitment to Christ, there was this passion to share him with others. 
Um, and as I began to do that with friends and teammates, I just found that um, they would have questions. You know, it wasn't just sort of, yeah, great, where do I sign up? Um, there were lots of hard questions to work through, and I completely understood that because I had had to work through a lot of hard questions on on my journey. And so when people asked me questions, I would often not have the answer, but you know, I had a community that I could go to to look into the answer. I could do my own research, my own reading, and often come come back to someone for a conversation. So I guess for me, um, I really fell in love with the privilege of sharing the faith with other people. And then as people asked me questions, just as a matter of trying to love them well and trying to share the faith well with them, I would go on and look into, uh, look into the questions. Then I think I realized, hey, this aligns really well with the fact that kind of I have this tendency towards philosophy. I've been asking deep questions um, since early in my life, and it just continued from there. And why do you think apologetics is important? I'm aware that's a huge question, but if you could just kind of summarize why it's important. Yeah, I mean, for me at least, it was almost like the path to God was overgrown with all of these intellectual obstacles and confusions uh, and different things that were in my head. I got, I almost imagine myself, you know, um, sort of going before someone and clearing, clearing a path, um, you know, where this kind of, all these things overgrown in the path and you, you need to kind of, you need to chop them down and prune them back. And then there's kind of like a clear path for someone to actually engage the the questions of the heart, maybe be willing to pray that agnostic prayer. God, I don't know if I'm talking to anyone, but but if I am, you know, I'd, I'd really like to know about it. Um, and ultimately, I think that God wants the whole person. Um, and he made us with our, with our brains, with our minds. I remember as a non-believer thinking to myself, if there's a God, and if he made me with this brain, then he would want me to use it to search for him. So ultimately, I think God wants the whole person. And so when we use our whole selves in our search for him, then that's the most holistic way to approach him and leads to the strongest relationship um, overall. And I guess somewhere where you began to develop that apologetics and delve more into your philosophical arguments around particularly the problem of evil was Oxford. So how did you end up at Oxford? Yes, I, uh, I initially went as a visiting student, as an undergraduate uh, for six months. Uh, and then I really... Um, enjoyed it there. I, uh, I found a great church there that became a big part of my own development in, in faith. Uh, and then I applied for some scholarships to go back after, after graduation. Wound up meeting my wife uh, there and wound up staying for 12 years. We, we met during that time. Uh, Ruth, it's, uh, yeah, it's amazing now to look back, you kind of think like, oh, I'm just going to be there for six months. You know, you don't realize how that will extend and you'll meet someone and you'll wind up um, there for much longer. That did all, all of my graduate study um, there as well. And you played a lot of sport at Princeton, but you also played quite a lot of sport at Oxford and you got something which is called a double blue. So you kind of, you competed for the university in two different sports, in boxing and in football. And um, that was obviously quite a key, I guess, area for you to be discussing some of these questions and, and things like that. Would you just say a little bit about how that played out? Did you have good conversations? Was it harder in Oxford? easier in Oxford? Mm. How, how, how did that play out? Oh, uh, yeah. Always loved sports growing up. And then I think when I when I came to faith, um, I came to love being on teams even more because, you know, like I said, I had gotten passionate about sharing the faith with, with other people. And I just love the way 
you can be not just brought together into the same place, but actually feel a deep bond with people who otherwise might be completely different to you in personality and background for all sorts of reasons, just because you all happen to be able to kick a ball reasonably well. Like, you know, it's, in some ways it's such a funny thing, but I loved that. Uh, and it brought me into a, a community that was so diverse. Uh, you know, and even you know, lots of times people talk about First Peter 3.15, you know, with respect to apologetics and this idea of, you know, always be prepared uh, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And, and one of the most challenging things about that verse is that it sort of just assumes there are a lot of people in your life who don't know Christ. Uh, and they are regularly asking you to share the reasons for the hope that you have. Uh, and so, you know, for me, as I began to take apologetics seriously, sports was a was a big part of that because it, it allowed me to be in a community of people where I could live among them. They could ask me questions. I could ask them questions um, and we could we could journey together. So I really loved that. And, and I also feel like um, it's interesting as I began to read the Bible as a Christian, a lot of it connected with my experience of sports when when the scriptures talk about going into strict training, uh, I mean, it's referring, you know, the context of that passage is evangelism, is sharing the faith, going to strict training, or when it talks about running the race of faith well, or competing not for a perishable crown, but for an imperishable crown. Uh, and in some ways, I think my understanding and my my longing for uh, the church, uh, the community of believers, and to experience that in all of its fullness comes in part because I spent so much time playing sports where I thought, Boy, I will, I will sweat and bleed for this person, just because we're both pretty good at kicking a soccer ball. Uh, and now I'm part of a community that's connected by the blood of Christ. You know, boy, what does it look like me for me to to really be serious about about that commitment? So I'm really thankful also for the way that sports taught me something about what it means to be church. And what were some of the biggest objections that you saw amongst the guys that you were playing sport with? Was it kind of, was it the same questions coming up time and time again, or was it like a plethora of different things? Yeah, I think it changed over time. You can really resonate with this, Ruth, I'm sure. And I should, I should turn the question around here and ask you with all the work that, that you've done, you know, with different, different generations, uh, but it changed over time. I feel like uh, and, and initially, people were asking more of the questions that I was asking when I came to faith. You know, it was almost, uh, show me if it's true. And if you can show me it's true, then we'll talk relevance, implications, application, um, et cetera. So, you know, when I came to faith, I was asking questions about history and science and biblical reliability. And I feel like slowly and then more rapidly um, over time, it's almost like uh, that's often reversed now. Uh, there are, are questions of relevance that are the initial questions, and it's almost if those questions can be responded to strongly, and the Christian faith can be seen as relevant to one's life, what one is is actually going through, relevant to people's experience of the the division and the, the fractured nature of of their experience of life today, then people will put truth back on the table. Um, so, in some ways, I feel like you still you get to all of the ground that needs to be covered for a holistic faith, but the starting points I find are, are very different today than they were 23 years ago when I came to faith. Yeah. So it's perhaps stuff that kind of impacts the, the like imminent frame of someone's reference point. Like it's not these big questions out there. It's these questions that are really impacting me and the people I love. I think that's absolutely right. And in fact, you know, just recently I've been thinking a lot about, you know, we're called in the scriptures to be, uh, 
ambassadors of reconciliation. And I've been thinking a lot about apologetics through the lens of reconciliation and realizing that, um, you know, for a, for a lot of the last, you know, 20 years and especially the early portion of that, I thought of myself as in some ways um, called to reconciliatory ministry, but I really was thinking primarily vertically. Um, how do people reconcile to God? Uh, and, and I've been thinking a lot lately about the different dimensions of, of reconciliation horizontally with others, internally um, within the self. And when I think about the questions that so often are asked today, especially by the younger generation, so much of them, the starting point is some felt division, some felt uh, brokenness, whether it's within the self or whether it's within um, other relationships in their life or in society more generally. Uh, and I think there's there's room for a sort of holistic approach to reconciliatory ministry, which could could maybe be uh, one type of framework through which to think about apologetics for younger generations moving forward. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Now, Vince, you obviously spend a lot of your time defending the Christian faith, but I don't know whether, um, and this is certainly something I think about quite a lot, you know, someone will have an objection or a question and you think, oh my goodness, that's that's a re- like it's such a good question. You kind of thrown me. Uh, have you sort of ever had that experience where some of those objections are like so convincing that it kind of causes you to question your faith or I guess sort of doubt in a particular way? Yes, and uh, and it makes me really thankful that my faith is not fully based on my arguments. Um, you know, like in some ways that would be a really flimsy faith. So, you know, the next time I meet somebody who's smarter than me and comes around the corner with a better objection than I've heard before, all of a sudden my faith is thrown up. You know, that would be a a really anxious faith to try to walk out. So, you know, I really like this is a more of a paraphrase, but I really like the way that Pascal talked about God giving us enough evidence to believe rationally, but not so much that we can believe based on reason alone. And that that really resonates with my experience. It was like, I did need to dig into the arguments to move some of those obstacles out of the way, but then ultimately there is an experience for me of actual relationship with God that gives me both the confidence in my faith and gives me this freedom uh, to explore other arguments and just say, I have no idea. That's a great objection. I've never heard it before in my life. Uh, and yet I'm not sitting there feeling you know, insecure in, in, in my faith be- because of that. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And I'm also thankful for that because you know, if our faith relied on being able to access all of the books and the education that I've had the privilege of having to be able to come to certain conclusions about history or about science or about philosophy, that would actually be a very exclusive faith. It'd actually be a very small percentage of the world's population that could journey in that sort of way to come to those sorts of intellectual um, conclusions. So I'm so thankful that God can and does meet people relationally. And when necessary, um, he works through intellectual objections that they have in route. So I guess on the flip side, you've got the intellectual objections that potentially sort of cause you to think, oh gosh, what is that? Um, but then on the flip side, what do you think are some of the most compelling defences for Christianity? What are some of the things that you think actually this is like the calling card? And Or, or I guess, is it like a cumulative thing for you? Or is there one kind of humdinger that you think this is the... Yeah. 
this is the one. Yes, I get. Yeah, I guess both end. I I do think it's it's cumulative. Um, uh, and at the same time, uh, I think that you know the arguments for the resurrection are very strong, and they speak specifically to who Jesus is and whether he confirmed who he was by re- rising from the dead. So I really love to. To, to take people to that argument, uh, first and foremost, I love opening up First Corinthians 15, where you have this list of people that Jesus appeared to after he clearly had died, and letting people know that scholars believe that at least the core content of that is an early creed, far too early to have developed as a legend over time. And so it really like confronts you with this question of, like, hey, people were walking around, utterly convinced they were spending time with this person. You know, how do we how do we explain that? So that that I think is so significant, but but then I think the more you think about life, uh, you know, for me it's pervasive. Like there is just so much that we take for granted in everyday life that I actually think only makes sense if God is involved in in the equation. Um, I mean, just one example, like the regularity of the universe. Why should I think that gravity is going to have the same strength tomorrow that it did today? And then somebody says, well, it's always had that strength. It had that strength, that strength yesterday and the day before and the day before. But that's not an answer to the question. That is the question. Why? Why has it always had the same strength? And why do we assume with confidence it's going to have the same strength tomorrow? I mean, logically, there are an infinite number of different strengths that it could take. Why do we have this utter confidence in the regularity of the universe moving forward? And why have we seen it be so incredibly regular as we look backwards? I actually think you can't answer that question. Uh, from just an atheistic perspective, uh, or at least it's very difficult to come to uh, an explanation. Whereas if you add God into that equation as a creator of the universe, you, you have an explanation for that. Well, the person who created the universe wanted us to live orderly and coherent lives that that we could make sense of. And so oftentimes for me, it's things like that as I've at the begun to just walk through my day-to-day living with God and believing in God. So many things that I just took for granted uh, like the fact that there is good and evil, the fact that there is regularity in the universe, uh, I realized, boy, I've been living on some assumptions that perhaps only make sense if God is actually the author of this universe. I guess this might be a difficult question to answer as well. I'm sorry, I'm just giving you all of them now. But um, over, you know, you've spent over 20 years discussing these big topics, grappling with the difficult questions um, you know, I'm sure along the way your your faith hasn't been straightforward. There's been knocks. There's been difficult things in your life. Why do you, despite all of that, why do you, Vince Vitali, still believe in God? Mm, thank you. Um, the the image that just came into my mind as you were asking the question was riding a bike, um, and uh, you know, if all I had ever done was read the instruction manual that came with the bike when I got it and maybe you know maybe watched uh, a few YouTube videos on how to ride a bike then I could sort of imagine you coming to me and and really uh, making me doubt whether I could ride a bike you know I kind of I read the instructions I watched the YouTube videos and I feel pretty confident about it I'm like yeah I can ride a bike you know and then and then I could imagine you coming to me and saying can you really ride a bike um, you know, you've never done it before. There's all these other aspects of riding a bike that you haven't even thought about, and I can imagine really doubting that. But I guess my experience of the Christian life is 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 more like, you know, I, I rode a bike over here to 
to this studio to do this. You know, to, I ride a bike to work every day. Like it's going to be very hard for for you to convince me that I can't ride a bike because I actually experience doing it um, day to day. And and I think again, my Christian faith, the the logical steps that brought me to it were very important. But then when I when I stepped into it, there was this in philosophy we would call this non-propositional knowledge. You know, it's knowledge of a person that far exceeds anything that I could tell you about that relationship just by writing it down in propositions on on a piece of paper. And again, I'm so thankful for that because it actually frees me to explore all these interesting um, questions about God and, and not to be worried, you know, that, uh, oh no, someone's going to come around the corner with an objection that uh, that I've never heard and maybe it's all going to unravel. Uh, and I'm so thankful for that also for people who don't maybe have access to all the books that I've had the privilege of reading or the arguments that I've had the privilege of exploring, that they can have that same relationship that I have um, where they might hear arguments on both sides, but say, you know, at the end of the day, I ride the bike every day. I'm, I'm pretty confident that I know how to ride a bike. Well, Vince, we're going to spend a bit of time again in another episode talking specifically about the kind of research that you've done around the problem of evil and the problem of suffering. And I know that's just a huge, huge question for so many people. So I'm really excited about us unpacking. I mean, maybe excited isn't the right word, but I, like, I think it's really important that we unpack that. But as we come to the end of this podcast, is there anything that you would go back and tell, I don't know, like, your young self, maybe you've just become a Christian at Princeton in that dorm room. Is there anything that kind of 23 years later, sort of what you've learned over the years and, and the things you've read and the experiences you've had and the questions you've grappled with, is there anything you'd want to go back and tell yourself, do you think? Yes, uh, definitely a lot I would want to share. Uh, some of it, I think, is what we've just spoken about uh, as well, uh, that I didn't need to fear, you know, someone coming to me with an objection I hadn't heard of or, uh, and just having that freedom to just to listen well and to learn from people, to keep listening, to learn from people from, from all different perspectives. Uh, I would tell myself that not to get defensive about other people's perspectives or other people's questions as something that I learned over time, but I wish I had learned, um, earlier. I also think, uh, I might share with myself that, the Christian life is, I think it's the best way to put it, but maybe that it's it's really about surrender more than commitment. Um, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a New York Yankees fan. I get that from my dad. Um, I'm committed. Like, I'm committed <laughs> to the New York Yankees. I'm going to be a New York Yankees fan until I die, like my dad was before me. Like, I'm committed. Um, and that's quite different from actually surrendering to something, surrendering control uh, to something, stepping into that that full relationship. Um, you know, Jesus says, whoever wishes to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. That's actually very different from even a very strong commitment um, to something. It's really a, a surrender, which is, is much more um, like when you step into marriage and, and say this is uh, this is not about just me anymore. This is about this is about the other person. And um, I think I I think I learned that over time. And um, I often you know find that I meet people 
from a Christian perspective who maybe are, are more committed to Christianity than surrendered to Christ. And uh, I really think that the the power that one experiences when you're fully surrendered um, to Christ, where you don't just have a Christian belief or a Christian philosophy, but you're actually experiencing what the uh, apostles experienced after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And, and you look just before that and you think, boy, Peter's denying Christ three times, even though just hours earlier, Jesus tells him that's what he's going to do. And he still gets to the second denial and goes for the third one. And then you look at the lives of the apostles after Pentecost when they're fully surrendered and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying they were perfect or anything, but there was a courage and an integrity and a boldness in their lives. It was a radical transformation that took place. And I think if I were to go back to those early stages of my journey, my seeking, and even my initial commitment, I'd want to tell myself, there's more. Don't stop that commitment. I know it's difficult. I know it's a difficult choice, but fully surrender. It's through that dying to oneself that you'll actually experience the fullness of the Christian life, just as Jesus went through death to res- resurrection. Vince, thank you so much. We've not heard the end from you, but that's it for today. But thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic with me, Ruth Jackson. As always, you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show. And please do let us know what you thought of the programme by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk or you can get in touch with us on social media. Thank you for listening and see you next week. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.